0: All right, if you would, make your way to the book of, uh, book of 2 Timothy chapter number 3. Second Timothy chapter 3 is where we're going to find our opening text for tonight. And we're in a, a series of messages where we're looking at characteristics of a healthy church. And last, last Wednesday, we kind of laid a foundation for that, um, having a desire for a healthy church and some, some preliminaries that kind of lay out what a healthy church looks like. And so we're now we're, we're getting into the nuts and bolts, some of the specific characteristics that I think contribute to a healthy church, because that's what we want to be. And the first, and I would say the most important one, is this, is that a healthy church exposits Scripture. A healthy church exposits Scripture, or you could say expounds Scripture. And we're going to look into some, uh, some, some applications with that, and uh, I think we'll, we'll see some things that are... Pertinent to what a healthy church is. Second Timothy chapter 3 verse 16 and 17. Paul writes to Timothy and he says, he says all scripture is breathed out by God and profitable for teaching, for reproof, for correction and for training in righteousness, that the man of God may be complete, equipped for every good work. You know there are a lot of elements that that are intertwined within the local church. What is the most central element of the local church or what should be? Is it the programs that maybe a church offers? I think we'd all say no to that. Is it the friendliness maybe of the church? Is it the music of the church? Is it what is available for kids or youth in the ministry? Is it a clean and functional nursery? I'm I'm sure all our mothers, they would like to have that, right? That, That can be important. Is it the aesthetics or the appearance of the church? Now, all of these things may be uh, important to a church, but all of them are secondary. All of them are secondary to one thing, and that one thing that is more important than all the rest is the centrality of the Word of God in the local church. Now, I know some of this is pretty fundamental for us, but I hope to remind us of this and encourage us along the way as we look at this foundational principle but when we think about it, why is the word of God, the scriptures, to be central to the church above all other things? Well, because without the scriptures being the sole authority for all of our faith and practice and them rightly being applied to the church, all those other things may be done in the vanity of our flesh and even in error because we don't have a guide for truth. You see, it doesn't matter how much ministry a church may do if the ministries are not, that they do are not grounded in the truth. With right doctrine and right application. There is no power in the church without truth. There is no power in the church without the scriptures. It is fundamental, it is foundational. And here we see the reason Paul writes what he writes to Timothy in this text. He says in Timothy, he says, All scripture, all scripture is breathed out by God and is profitable for teaching, for reproof, for correction. For training and righteousness, that the man of God may be complete, equipped for every good work. Right there you find so much. We're not going to expound the whole of that passage. But you find so much of what the scripture is, but also what the scripture is for. And we find that what the scripture is for is essentially for our benefit and what we're to carry out in our own life and ministry. So what Paul says here, for Timothy, who was pastoring in Ephesus, and what we see in the rest of the scriptures reveals to us that the word of God must be central to all that the church is and all that the church does. Because truly, the word of God is what makes a church truly a church. A church that is not committed to hearing, growing in, and obeying the scriptures is an unhealthy church, if they are a church at all. Now, why, why do I say this? I mean, it's fundamental it's central to us, we who are at Lee Creek, you've heard this over and over, and we know this, right? Well, it's good to be reminded of it, and it's good to get it out there, but it's something also important for today because there are, there are many churches who have this out of order, out of order. The central focus in many churches in our age is the breadth of their ministries that they offer rather than the depth and accuracy of the message that they are to proclaim, So you understand that often the scriptures become an addition to the ministry rather than the foundation of the ministry. Now, while sometimes that can be done with good intent, it doesn't matter. You must have scripture as your foundation or you don't have a solid foundation. So if the church is to truly be healthy and functioning as it is, meant to function, scriptures must be central and foremost. And So I want to point out a few things about this about the practice of expositing Scripture. And that's number one, the practice of expositing Scripture. Now, bulk of our message will probably flow from this one, this one point, and the other points are supplemental that support it. But notice with me the practice of expositing Scripture. First thing I want you to understand about the Scripture is that the Scripture is to be understood accurately. The Scripture is to be understood accurately. Now, when we think about the Scriptures and why we have them and why God gave them, when it comes to reading and preaching and teaching of the Scriptures, are we meant to understand the truth that God intended those Scriptures to communicate? Absolutely we are. We are meant to understand the Word of God. So the point of Scripture is to reveal the truth about the most important subject possible in existence, and that subject is God in His glory. There is nothing more important than to know God and his glory. That is theology, if you want to say it in that form. You see, the church is to be the institution where what is found? The truth. Truth. Church is to know truth. The church is to uphold truth and propel truth. Paul tells this to Timothy about the church's order and function and why he writes these things to him. In 1 Timothy 3.15, he says, If I delay, you may know how one ought to behave in the household of God, which is the church of the living God, a pillar and buttress of the truth. But often truth is not grasped or applied from the Scriptures, though the Scriptures may be read and even believed by those using them. Now, why is that? Because how one interprets the Scriptures makes all the difference. How is the scripture to be interpreted, church? Does tradition interpret scripture for us? No. Does our experience interpret scripture for us? No. Does emotion or how we feel interpret scripture for us? No. None of those things do. Scripture is to be interpreted by expositing it within its right context and how God gave it. So let me break some of this down for you. And now you'll see in your notes I gave you some words and definitions, and so you can kind of glean some of these things and take them home, chew on them. What does it mean to exposit something? Well, it's kind of the opposite of depositing something, right? You go to the bank, you're going to deposit your bank or your, your cash or your check into the bank. You're putting something into it. So expositing is the opposite of that, it is bringing something out of something, right? So exposit really is a verb that's connected to the word exposition. Exposition means a setting forth of the meaning or purpose as of a writing. So to exposit scripture is to bring out of the text and set forth what the text means and maybe why it was given within its context. So our goal in studying the scriptures as a church, it is always to discover the truth. Now, many tend to think that we are to determine what the truth is. That is not what we're called to do. We are to discover what the truth is as revealed in the Scriptures. Okay? So that is an important distinction. Often, understand, the Bible is used to propel forward positions and convictions that men want the Scriptures to say because they want it to fit with their particular tradition. They want it to fit with their philosophy of ministry. They want it to fit with maybe what their pet topics might be. But let it be known to us, church, that that is a grievous error when it comes to handling the Scriptures. The goal of the church regarding Scripture is to always interpret Scripture accurately regardless of whether it contradicts our preconceived notions or not. I want to know the truth even if that truth goes against what I thought previously. That's what the scriptures are for. It's about correcting us, showing us what truth is. And so when we want to find this out, how do we do that? By reading and studying the context of the passage that's in focus. What is context? Oxford Dictionary gives us this definition. It means the circumstances, refers to the circumstances that Form the setting for an event, statement, or an idea. The parts that immediately precede and follow a word or passage and clarify its meaning. So, context is getting the proper meaning meant for the audience. And to do that within the framework of literature, such as the scriptures, you read before and after and need the whole of the passage to see what is being said, what is being communicated. So I've emphasized this, and I'll always emphasize this to you, church, that context is everything. Context is everything when it comes to interpreting the Bible, when it comes to expositing the Word of God. So we want to know, what did God mean for the text to say to the original audience who heard it? And so teaching the Scriptures in their context is absolutely crucial to a healthy church. Now, Paul gives some insight into this practice to Timothy. In 2 Timothy chapter 2, and verse 15, he says, Do your best to present yourself to God as one approved, a worker who has no need to be ashamed, rightly handling the word of truth. There's something very key here, and it's that last statement. Rightly handling the word of truth. Let me ask you, church, if the scriptures can be rightly handled and should be rightly handled, can they also be wrongly handled? Oh, boy, yes. Oh, boy, yes, they can be. You see, Timothy and the whole of the church, and especially the pastor who is laboring in the word and doctrine, has to be careful to fulfill this verse when handling the scriptures. You'll notice that Paul says, do your best. The Greek word translated here for do your best means to be especially conscientious in discharging an obligation. It means paying careful, close attention in this practice of rightly handling the word of truth. It can also be rendered as to be zealous and eager, to take pains, to make every effort in this. Now, in many of the main translations that I will quote and reference, you'll see it translated maybe a little differently. The King James, a translation I love and a great one says study the NASB and ASB and the NKJV says be diligent the ESV says do your best they both are conveying that meaning of giving a conscious careful effort in rightly handling the word of truth so Paul wants Timothy to do this to be the worker who is approved of God he rightly handles the word of truth he doesn't have to be ashamed because he's done his best in this in rightly handling The word of truth. Now, in rightly handling the word of truth, and I've shared this with you before, but I'm going to share it again because it's important to this point. There are two basic practices that we need to understand. One we need to practice, the other we don't need to practice. The first we see is something called eisegesis. Eisegesis. Eisegesis refers to the interpretation of a text as of the Bible by reading into it one's own ideas. In other words, it's imposing something into the text that's not meant by the original author who penned it or God who instructed that, guided that author in penning it. The second aspect of interpreting Scripture is called exegesis. Exegesis, which means to explain, interpret from X, X meaning out of. It's an explanation or a critical interpretation of the text. It is bringing out of the text what is meant by the original author. What is meant by the original author? You ever been in conversation with somebody and somebody uh, interpreted you wrongly and you're thinking, don't be putting words in my mouth, right? You're trying to change what I'm saying. That's not what I meant. That happens all the time with the word of God. Now, we don't like it when somebody takes something we've said and turns it into something that We didn't actually say. How much more important is that concerning the God of heaven and earth? His word. How sacred this is. And so, exegesis, bringing out of the text what is there and understanding it in light of the surrounding context, that is what healthy churches aim to do. They are not founded on their traditions. They're not founded upon their preferences. They are founded on the Word of God, and when the Word of God contradicts their traditions or their preferences, they submit to the Word of God, because He's true and we're wrong when, he's, when He shows us that, right? Now, by all means, let me point this out. We recognize our own fleshly limitations in this matter of interpreting the Scriptures. There is no preacher, there is no teacher who is perfect in their interpretation of the Scriptures, There's no such thing, as I said last week, there's no such thing as a perfect church, is there, church? If you ever find the perfect church, don't join it. Why? Because you're going to ruin it. (laughs) You're going to ruin it. We're imperfect people. But that's part of the marvel of God's grace in uniting his people together. Though we yet have not been made perfect, we've not been glorified, yet he works in us to bring about a unity around his word. Now, while there may not be anything, no such thing as a healthy church or a, or excuse me, a perfect church or a perfect pastor, there is such a thing as a healthy church and a healthy pastor, and that is what we aim to be. So this is why Paul says, do your best to Timothy. But we also got to understand this, that, that we're accountable for our interpretation. We have to understand that the right interpretation in the mind leads to the right application in the heart. Wrong interpretation can lead to bad and damaging convictions that can bring shame upon Christianity itself. Now, one example I'll share with you, and you may be shocked at this, and it's a recent one. A preacher is under fire for his, I will say, terrible convictions based on his terrible interpretation of Scripture. He was preaching against women wearing shorts. Now, by all, means, by all means, women should dress modestly. Bible teaches that. But the scriptures do not give a specific attire of what that consists of. But this particular man's legalistic conviction here brought him to the conclusion that if, say, a woman was wearing shorts, and bear in mind, he says this from the pulpit, okay? I won't mention names. He says from the pulpit that if a woman who is wearing shorts ended up getting raped, and he was on the jury, that he would let that man go and blame the woman for that action. You say, what an absurd thing to say. From a pulpit, by all means. I often wonder why God doesn't strike men down in the pulpit itself. You say, why is this important? That is what bad interpretation of Scripture can get you. And I've been among some groups that had these kinds of standards, and they only bring shame to the Christianity that we are to profess. This is how far bad exposition of Scripture can take you. It makes for unhealthy churches and unholy churches. So understand that Scripture is to be understood accurately. But letter B, notice this also in regards to the practice of expositing Scripture. Scripture is also to be understood clearly and applicably to the people. I mean, what is the point of preaching and teaching the scriptures? It is to communicate the message from God for the people to understand it and to apply it to their life. Now, there are a few things to point out regarding clarity when it comes to communicating what God's message is. And I'll do this by pointing out a few types of preaching that you've probably heard of, okay? There are different types of preaching, all of them being beneficial in their own way, but some of them being more healthy than other ways. What types of preaching are there? Well, one in particular is known as topical preaching. Well, what is topical preaching? It is preaching or teaching that focuses on a specific subject and thereby collects the necessary verses in support of that subject. So, for example, there may be topical sermons on prayer, on Christ's atonement, On the doctrines of grace, on evangelism, on sin, on the attributes of God, on marriage or parenting or finance or the church, the series we're going through right now. This is a topical series. It is a subject-focused series. So what is the benefit of topical preaching? The benefit is being able to address specific topics needed for the church. It's good to have a series on the attributes of God or the doctrines of grace and look at the scriptures that communicate about these things. It's a very good method. But it is not the most, should not be the most central method. So Why is that? Topical preaching can also be used as a springboard. For only feeding the church the pet topics the preacher likes. And that is the great danger. It can also be used to abuse various texts. By using them to support a position that the text they're quoting does not actually support in its right context. That's important for us to recognize. Now, I saw this quote. I don't know if I agree with it, but I thought it was pretty interesting. Someone said that some preachers use the Bible the way a drunk uses a lamppost. More for support than illumination. (laughs) And As a preacher, I read that and thought, well, I get it, <laughs> uh, but I don't know if it's, know if it's exactly right. But I, I do agree that there's some that use the scriptures to support their position rather than to illumine what truth is. You see, this involves superimposing our deeply held passions and perspectives on the biblical text. Now, understand this. No text of scripture should be used to say what it didn't mean to say. Let me restate that. No text of Scripture should be used to say what it didn't mean to say. Now, I'll give you an illustration. I was once told by a preacher who I admired and looked up to to look for a sermon in everything. Look for a sermon in everything. In other words, every little thing in this world, try to find a sermon in it. Illustrations, life experiences, and all sorts of those sorts of things, right? What's wrong with that concept? The foundation of the message is an illustration or experience, not the scripture itself. I understand that the scripture is the sermon. The scripture is the sermon. The text is the sermon. Now, an illustration or experience may be used if it fits with the point actually is being made in this text, in the scripture. But you understand that we don't go looking for messages. We have the message. We have the message. Now, I used to think when I was a young preacher, what in the world am I going to preach next Sunday? I used to think that I had to come up with the message God wanted me to preach, or what's God impressing on my heart to preach? Now that I properly understand what I'm to preach, I'm going to run out of time before I can preach all the message that God's given. I would love to preach through every book of the Bible, but that'd be up to God and His will if He lets me live long enough and good health and all that. You understand that, The Scripture is the message. It's not what I can conjure up. The Scripture is the message. Now, another danger with topical preaching is the preacher may only use various texts to back up the points that he already knows, thus never going any further than what he already knows. I know many preachers who no longer study. They simply repeat what they've always known. They don't preach through the Bible. There's a danger to that. It's a hindrance to their own growth, but also the growth of the people. Because if the church only hears messages of what the preacher already knows and never expounds Scripture, the church is only going to know what the preacher already knows. It's a stunt to the growth of the church. Now, understand that this is not a rebuke of topical preaching. I do topical preaching. Some of the greatest preachers in history were were, were great topical preachers. Charles Spurgeon being one of them, right? I quote him quite often. Topical preaching has great benefits, but it can also have a great detriment if it's not used correctly. But there's another form of preaching I think is beneficial, and that's biographical preaching. You ever heard a series of messages on the life of someone, like the life of Moses or the life of David or Joseph or Elijah? Aren't those a blessing? Those are good. You can glean a lot from looking at the life of another person who's gone before you and and, and see some Christian application from that. But it's not exhaustive to what all the church needs, is it? The church needs more than that. Biographical preaching is a great method. But this brings us to letter C, or this, this point that I think is most important here, and that is expositional preaching. Expositional preaching. That's what the center of the message is founded on. Expositional preaching is expounding the Scripture, particularly through a book of the Scripture, in its natural order and its context. It is digging into one passage at a time, uncovering the truth of the text, preaching it to the people, leading into the next passage to see it all unfold as God originally gave it to those hearers. You know what expositional preaching does? It makes the point of the sermon, the point of the text that's being read, communicated. That's the point. Isn't that what we need? Isn't, isn't, isn't the point God wants for us the point that we actually need? Absolutely it is. You know, I used to worry about that. What am I going to preach? I've got plenty of preaching material, church. You're never going to run out of preaching for me or whoever comes here, as long as I'm here, I've got plenty to preach, don't I? The word of the living God. Mark Dever rightly comments here and says, expositional preaching is not so much about how the preacher says what he says, but about how a preacher decides what to say. I like that. Many want to get so fixated on charisma and style and how they communicate. But you understand, that's secondary to what they're communicating It's always secondary to what they're communicating, to what is being said. You see, this kind of preaching and teaching is not about style, but it is about the content being communicated. Well, some say, well, that just eliminates addressing specific needs in the church. Not really. You know how often I have found going through a book of Scripture, verse by verse, passage upon passage, You get to a particular passage, and it hits home to a particular need at that particular time. And I sit back and think, how did that happen? It wasn't me planning that. I had no clue so-and-so would be going through this at this particular time, months earlier when I planned to preach through this particular book, and we happened to come across this particular passage that struck home. God designed that because his word, understand all of his word is relevant for all of us at all times in our life. There's just certain times in our life that certain things hit harder and he really drives it home and brings it to our life in a different way. So you understand that God is sovereign in this. Do we see any kind of example of exposition in the, old, in, in the, in the scriptures itself? I think we do have a great example. If You go to the book of Nehemiah. Nehemiah chapter number 8, and look at verse 1 through 8 for a moment. I love the book of Nehemiah. I'm reading through it devotionally right now, and it's such an encouragement regarding the people of God and God's working through them and uh, the the leadership of Nehemiah. But here's something that sticks out to me. In in Nehemiah chapter 8, look at verse 1 through 8. I'll just read this passage so you see the context, uh, and we'll come down to verse 8, and verse 8's where it's at. But I want you to see what happens through this. In the presence of the men and the women and those who could understand, and the ears of all the people were attentive to the book of the law, and Ezra the scribe stood on a wooden platform that they had made for the purpose. For that purpose, and beside him stood Mattithiah, Shema, Ananiah, Uriah, Hilkiah, Masiah, and on the right hand and Pedahziah, Mich- Mishael, Malakijah. Malachi- Let me try that one again. Malchajah, Hashem, Hashbaniah, Zechariah, and Meshulam on his left hand. I'm glad I don't have Hebrew names. Aren't you? All right, I just had to throw that in there. And Ezra opened up opened the book in the sight of all the people, for he was above all the people, and as he opened it, the people stood. And Ezra blessed the Lord, the great God, and all the people answered, Amen, amen. There you go, church. It's scriptural to say amen, all right? So don't be afraid to do that. Lifting up their hands, and they bowed their heads and worshiped the Lord with their faces to the ground. Also, Jeshua, Bonnie, Sherebiah, Jamin, Jacob, Shabbatai, Hodiah, Mashiach, Kalita, Azariah, Jozabad, Hanan, Peliah, and the Levites. And notice what these people are doing as Ezra teaching the law. They help the people to understand the law while the people remained in their place. And notice verse 8. They read from the book, from the law of God, clearly, and they gave the sense so that the people understood the reading. What do you find in this text? You find exposition. The book of the law is the Old Testament Pentateuch, the book of the law that they had to follow. That is what they needed. You may recall Nehemiah and Ezra, they're they're coming back to Jerusalem, rebuilding the walls. They're going to rebuild the temple, get back to where they're supposed to be as God's people, a healthy state of God's people. They've been in exile because of their rebellion, their neglect of the word of God. And now what we find here is that the word of God is, is what is being expounded and taught to them. You'll notice that he teaches it to them from early morning until midday. I'm guessing Ezra was a little long-winded, right? Early morning till midday. Now, no doubt, not only was he reading, there's probably an explanation happening through this. But he's up here on this wooden platform before all the people. And in verse 8, as the scriptures are read clearly, they gave the sense... They gave the sense so the people understood the reading. What is that? That is the exposition of scripture. Helping the people to understand what is being said in its context. Now some of this may have involved translation as there may have been some Aramaic speakers from the exile. But more likely this refers to the breaking down of the text into its parts so they could understand it. And church that is the high calling of the pastor and it is what the church should expect from their pastor is rightly expounding the word of god to them that is what the church has always sought to do it is to expound scripture to the hearers now today we have many advantages that even the early church didn't have can you think of one of those advantages the written word completed Most of the scriptures they were expounding were Old Testament. When Paul says, all scriptures give my inspiration, you understand, at at, at that current time, the majority of that is the Old Testament. They were expounding the Old Testament, showing that Christ, Jesus is the Christ. But you notice that in all of the preaching and teaching through the New Testament, what do we see? We see scripture being properly expounded and applied. Peter's sermon, he's accurately representing Christ from Old Testament text. Same thing for Stephen. The letters of Paul. The whole of the scripture is the substance that God's people need to know. They need it faithfully expounded to them. Clearly and accurately. Now this leads to another aspect of the scriptures. Clearly. Not only does the type of preaching matter for the health and church, I think also the scope of preaching. What do I mean by that? I mean that all of the word of God needs to be preached, not just certain passages and certain portions. To get a clear, comprehensive message of who God is and what he has done, we need to come through all of the scriptures. We need to read them, study them, and apply them rightly. Now, to understand the message of God clearly, clearly, we've got to have all of it, not just parts of it. We need to know God's truth and not neglect the other parts that maybe are less comfortable or maybe harder to comprehend. Now, before I really submitted myself to the whole of Scripture as my authority and practice, there were portions of the Bible I intentionally ignored. You probably identify with me on that. There are certain portions of Scripture that aren't as easy to comprehend in our mind, but that doesn't make them less true, and that doesn't make them less relevant for the church. See, expositional preaching seeks to preach the whole counsel of God, And so it is by far the most healthy method of preaching and teaching for the church. Why? Because it presumes that God intends his people to learn all of his word from from both the Old Testament and the New Testament, every paragraph, every line upon line. All of Scripture is for all of God's people in its right context properly applied. All of God's word is relevant at all times. (laughs) All of Scripture needs to be preached and taught accurately and clearly to the church because unclear communication of God's Word gives an unclear comprehension of the God of the Word. That's what it boils down to. Now, I'll close this point with this. While the pastor and preacher are accountable for their part in faithfully exposing the Scriptures, the church itself is also accountable for the kind of man they put in the office of pastor who's going to feed them day in and day out, Sunday after Sunday. And the sad thing is, many churches do not know any better when it comes to the importance of expositional preaching. So why is expositional preaching and expositing the scripture so crucial and vital to the health of the local church? Several reasons tie into this, but I want to give these to you quickly. And I'm not going to have time to go through all this. You're probably thinking, my goodness, we're going to be here until 8.30, 9 o'clock. We're not, I promise. Let me very briefly go through this. I won't, I won't give you all the texts. I won't read all the texts, but they're there for you. The purpose of expositing scripture. Here's the first purpose. Because God by his word has revealed himself. God by his word has revealed himself. So how is it that we truly know God? Well, man can know to a degree of God just by creation, right? His invisible attributes are made known in the creation. That's natural revelation. But we need more than that to actually know God. We need more than that. You must have specific or special revelation. And what is that specific and special revelation of God? It's his word. It's his word, friend. That's what we need. To truly know God and all of his characteristics and attributes and purposes, we must have revelation from him. He is a God that man can't conjure up and invent. He is a God that must reveal himself. And so he has done in the scriptures that you and I hold in our hand. And we know this because the scriptures, both old and new, they were not conjured up by human intuition. They were given by divine inspiration. 2 Peter 1.21, for no prophecy was ever produced by the will of man, but men spoke from God as they were carried along by who? The Holy Spirit. You go on from the Old Testament to the New, and God reveals himself even further. Oh, in a magnificent way. God in flesh, Jesus Christ, the living and eternal word. Is there any significance in him having that title, that he is the word of God? He is the visible manifestation of God, the visible revelation of God. And we read in Hebrews chapter number one in verse one through two, long ago at many times and in many ways, God spoke to our fathers by the prophets, but in these last days, he has spoken to us by his Son, whom he appointed the heir of all things, through whom he also created the world. See, here is the beauty and the vitality of the scriptures that as scripture is expounded, the glory and majesty of the one true God is revealed and magnified before us. Every text communicates truth from God, and about God. And isn't that why the church is here? It is to know God and to make Him known. We make Him known when we expound His word He gave us. Not only that, but letter B, God's, God by His word not only has revealed Himself, God by His word has fulfilled His purposes. You understand that in history, all of history, from the beginning to the very end, How has God accomplished his works? It has been by his word. By his word. Whether that be by his spoken word or his written word, it all flows from his word. Even his decree is his word. How did God create all things in the beginning? Out of nothing. By his word. He spoke. Hebrews 11.3. You journey through the scriptures and you see every act is grounded in his word. From the miracles to conversion to calling his people out for his purposes. God, by his word, called out Abraham. By his word, he called out Moses. Jesus, by his word, healed diseases, cast out demons, raised the dead. God has spoken over and over again, accomplishing his purposes by his word. Listen to this text that he declares to the prophet Isaiah. This is one to keep in your notes and in your mind. Isaiah 55, 10 through 11. Listen to this. God says, for as the rain and the snow come down from heaven and do not return there but water the earth, making it bring forth and sprout, giving seed to the sower and bread to the eater, so shall my word be that goes out from my mouth. It shall not return to me empty, but it shall accomplish that which I purpose and shall succeed in the thing for which I sent it. So you understand that God's word does not fail in its intentions. God's word is always successful. God's word is the means by which he has chosen to glorify himself through his people. The voice of the Lord is powerful. The voice of the Lord is full of majesty. Go read Psalm 29. It is a psalm that magnifies the voice of God. What does this mean for the church? We'll look at 2 Timothy 4 for a moment, verse 1 and through 3. Very briefly, what does this mean for the pastor, the preacher, the teacher? It means that our highest duty is to have the word of God faithfully proclaimed. It is with this understanding that all scriptures give my inspiration and that it is the authoritative voice of God that Paul tells Timothy. In 2 Timothy chapter number 4, in verse 1 through 3, he says, I charge you in the presence of God and of Christ Jesus, who is to judge the living and the dead, and by his appearing in his kingdom, three words. What's it say, church? Preach the word. Be ready in season and out of season, reprove, rebuke, and exhort with complete patience and teaching. For the time is coming when people will not endure sound teaching but have itching ears, they will accumulate for themselves teachers to suit their own passions. All you got to do is turn on TBN, and you'll see that in modern day. You understand that Paul commands Timothy to preach the word. The preacher and the teacher are nothing more than messengers. They're conduits through which the word of God is to be proclaimed. Every man that stands before God's people is nothing but a vessel that God speaks through because he's already pinned it down. See, Paul urges Timothy in this because he knew churches would leave off the centrality and the authority of the scriptures. He says the time will come. They will not endure sound teaching. They're going to raise up for themselves teachers who fit their lusts. Charles Spurgeon rightly comments on this and says the time will come when instead of shepherds feeding the sheep, the church will have clowns entertaining the goats. That's true. This is why the early church leaders, the apostles, They would not allow themselves to be diverted to other ministries that take away from their primary ministry. They said in light of ordaining certain servants to handle other ministries needed in the church, they said in Acts 6-4, but we will devote ourselves to prayer and to the ministry of the word. That was the centrality of their ministry. So the word of God must be central for the church to be a healthy church. We don't need entertainment or gimmicks. You can go home and find entertainment somewhere else. We come to church to worship the living God. We just need his word. To not make the scriptures the message we preach or to teach is detrimental to the calling that we have on us. I saw this quote from Paul Washer, and I'll share it with you. I thought it was fitting for today. He says to the preacher, every time you get into the pulpit with something other than the word of God, you have joined the ranks of the enemy to pollute God's field with a foreign." You see, God has purposed that His Word be the means of accomplishing His will in this world. He says this in 1 Corinthians 1 For since in the wisdom of God, the world did not know God through wisdom, it pleased God. Underscore that. It pleased God through the folly of what we preach to save those who believe. And here's what I conclude is that if this is what God is pleased to use, His Word, it must be what the church is pleased to use. Without the centrality of the Word of God expounded, a church will be unhealthy and die. But number three, and lastly, I want you to see the power in expositing Scripture. And there's twofold. You could probably guess this. The power in expositing Scripture. Here's the first aspect of this. Scripture expounded saves sinners. Scripture expounded saves sinners. Now, many in today's Christianity think that we need newer methods or tactics to get people to profess faith and join the church. I'm just going to be straight up with you, church. That is manipulation and nothing more. And you do not bring conversion through manipulation. I can't be persuasive enough to make somebody trust Christ. But God the Spirit and His Word can. Faithfully expositing the scriptures will make the clear message sinners need plain to them, which is the gospel of Christ. And having heard and seen the gospel of Christ clearly from the scriptures, God is the one who brings about conversion in the heart. We'll touch this later, another one of the marks of a healthy church. But Peter says in 1 Peter one 22-23, speaking to these Christians, he says, having purified your souls by your obedience to the truth, for a sincere brotherly love, love one another earnestly from a pure heart since, because of this, since you have been born again, not of perishable seed, but of imperishable through the living and abiding word of God. Do you remember what Jesus said in John 3, 3? Except a man be born again, he cannot see the kingdom of God. Well, how's the new birth going to happen? What Peter say? He said it happens through the word of God how the new birth come to us, the Word of God? It didn't come through the charisma of the preacher. It doesn't come through the programs of the church. It doesn't come through special lights and fog machines. It doesn't come through fancy illustrations. It doesn't come through the music necessarily. It comes through the living and abiding Word of God. I'm just going to tell you this, that we don't have to improve the gospel message to save sinners. We simply expound the gospel message one verse at a time, and God's going to save sinners because faith comes by hearing and hearing by the word of God, Romans 10, 17. And lastly, letter B, say amen. 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 Scripture expounded. Not only does it save sinners, but guess what else it does? It also sanctifies the saints. It sanctifies the saints. You see, the power of Scripture doesn't stop in a person's life with saving them. It continues on in their life. And that is why, church, we gather week after week. You don't stop with the church once you met Christ. You need the church church more than ever now that you know Christ. What does the church need for her continued growth and maturity? She needs the Scriptures. She needs the Word of God. Jesus, praying for his disciples, said in John 17, 7, Sanctify them through the truth your word is truth. You see, growing sanctified Christians are those who are taking in a regular diet of scripture expounded because here's what we know. Christ is going to sanctify his church and he does that through the word of God. Ephesians 5, 25 and 26 communicates this to an extent. He says, husbands, love your wives as Christ loved the church and gave himself up for her, that he might sanctify her, having cleansed her by the washing of water by the word. And what is the ultimate goal of the church's sanctification? What's the point of sanctification in the church, in your life? The point of sanctification, church, is that you are growing and being made more and more into the likeness of Christ. And if we're to be in the more in the likeness of Christ, let's just look at Christ for a moment. How did Christ live his life? Let me tell you how he lived his life. In perfect adherence to what? The word of God. It all comes full circle to the word of God. His revelation. So we want to be a healthy church. How can we be that? What's it take to have a healthy body? A healthy body requires right nutrition, diet, exercise. You need your sleep. There are certain things that we can apply to have a healthy physical body, right? Well, guess what? There are several things needed for a healthy church body. And may I say to you that the number one thing the church needs is the exposition of Scripture, for it is the foundation of all other characteristics of what a healthy church is to be and do.